0: Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Zechariah, second from the last book in the Old Testament, Zechariah, the 11th chapter. The 11th chapter. And we got down to verse 13, where we had discussed the price of a rejected shepherd And we'll pick up with verse 12 and 13 and just remind everyone of what we talked about a little bit. And then pick up with verse 14. is where we're really supposed to to be tonight. But you know it says in verse 12, And I said unto them, If you think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. This was the price of a rejected shepherd. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at of them, and I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. And of course, the familiar scripture that we have is Matthew 27, verse 9, where Jesus was priced at thirty pieces of silver. And it says, "...the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value." That's the price that Judas sold Jesus for. And you know, when we studied it in our last lesson, we found that it was the price of a lowly, gored, bloody slave. That's the price that was paid for a lowly, gored, bloody slave. And we had that back in the book of Exodus, where it uh, tells us about it in the 21st chapter. And yet the freeman was valued at twice that price. And if you turn to Exodus chapter 21... We'll just bring this to your remembrance again and won't spend too much time on it. But Exodus chapter 21 and verse 32. You'll see that this is the price that was paid for a servant or a slave. 21 verse 28. We'll pick up with 28 on down through 32. It says, If an ox gore a man or a woman that they die, this is verse 28, Then the ox shall be surely stoned, and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be quit. But if the ox were wont to push with his horn in time past, and it hath been testified to his owner, and he hath not kept him in, but that he hath killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and his owner also shall be put to death. If there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give for the ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him. They could negotiate whether or not this person would be due a great sum of money for being killed by this man's ox that would gore him. And it says in verse 31, Whether he have gored a son or have gored a daughter, according to this judgment, shall it be done unto him. Now then, in verse 32 it says, If the ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant, he shall give unto their master thirty shekels of silver and the ox shall be stoned. Thirty pieces of silver was the price of a manservant or a maidservant that had been killed by this ox. So a, we said that it was the price of a common slave that had been, uh, a lowly slave that had been gored or, and uh, killed. And that was the price that was laid upon that one. We gave you in our lesson also that it was the price of an outcast woman. And you found that in the book of Hosea 3, verse 2. And we won't take time to rehearse all that because we've already taught it. But you see, the price that was laid upon Jesus was the price of a rejected shepherd. You know, the Bible says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Uh, Isaiah predicted that. He said he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So he was a servant or a slave, and he was a rejected shepherd by his own, and he was also cast out as an unclean person. Remember, they would cast him out of their coast. So in all three of these situations, it was a price that was laid upon Jesus, and it was the price of these three different categories of people that we just pointed out. And we went into detail on it in our last lesson, so we'll... I'll just leave it alone for now and go into the next verse. It said in verse 14, Then I cut asunder My other staff, even bands. Remember, there were two staffs. One was named Beauty and one named Bands, that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Now, if you look back in verse uh, 10, it says, I took My staff, even Beauty, and cut it asunder, that I might break My covenant, which I had made with all the people. These two... Staffs, you find them mentioned in verse 7. It says, "...and I took unto me two staffs, the one I called beauty and the other I called bands, and I fed the flock." That's verse 7. Beauty having to mean graciousness, God's free grace and God's free favor, and bands speaks of union. And this first one was broken as a result in verse 10 of Christ coming to His own people and them rejecting Him. So the graciousness and pleasantness was removed from them as a nation and as a people and given to another people. In verse 11 it says, And it was broken in that day. And so the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew that it was the word of the Lord. There were some, very few, among all those Jews in that day that still believed and trusted in the Lord, but as a majority of them they rejected Christ as the Messiah. And Verse 10 tells us that he broke that covenant. He cut it asunder that I might break my covenant which, which I had made with all the people. So that was already broken. Now, when you come to verse 14, the other staff represents bands or union. speaks of union. And it tells us in verse 14, Then I cut asunder my other staff, even bands, that I might break the brotherhood. You can see it in the context. The brotherhood between Judah and Israel. So, at that time, the brotherhood or the union between Judah and Israel was broken. We know that originally there was a division between Judah and Israel. Do you remember when? After the death of Solomon and his son Rehoboam uh, came to the throne. And Jeroboam and Rehoboam had a kind of a battle over their authority, over Judah and Israel, and the kingdom was divided at that particular time and has been divided ever since. And of course, here it's spoken of as this union continued to be broken. When he says in verse 14, Then I cut asunder mine other staff, even bands, that I might break the brotherhood. Now, what? Look at it. Between Judah and Israel. These bands of brotherhood were broken. This union was broken. And it is still broken. And it is a broken union until they repent and receive Jesus as the Messiah at a future time. There will be a time when they will repent and then Jesus will reunite them at His second coming. And they will all be one people again. In fact, if you remember in the book of Revelation, it speaks of all the tribes being brought again together. And the reunion will take place at Christ's coming. Paul speaks of it in the book of Romans as the nation that will be converted in a day, so to speak. And in the book of Revelation, John in the very first part says, They shall look on him whom they pierced, and they shall mourn for him as for an only son. We're going to find that here in Zechariah as well, predicting that time, that there will be a conversion. But... If you'll notice verse 14, it says, Then I cut asunder mine other staff, even bands, that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And then we pick up with verse 15. It says, And the Lord said unto me, Take unto thee yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd. This foolish shepherd from verses 15-17. through Another section of this 11th chapter division. We gave you a division of this chapter. At the beginning, but the last part of it has to do with the foolish shepherd. Let me just repeat the division for you in the 11th chapter. Uh, The first thing we have is the judgment of the land, remember? Verses 1 through 6. And then we had the uh, rejection of the Messiah, verses 7 through 14. And then in verse 15 through 17, we have the foolish shepherd that's pointed out. So he says, The Lord said unto me, Take unto thee yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd. For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land which shall not visit, look, look the character of this shepherd, will not visit those that be cut off, neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that that is broken, nor feed that that standeth still, but he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear the claws their claws in pieces." He's going to be a cruel shepherd. He's going to be an idle shepherd. In verse 17, we'll read it for, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and, his, and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried right up and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. His right eye utterly darkened signifying ignominy and shame. And he will desert his trust the people will follow him, and it's really a prophecy of the Antichrist. If you look in John chapter five verse forty-three, I'd like you to, to look at that verse. John five verse forty-three. I want you to notice what Jesus says here. He says, "I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not." But he says, "If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive." They would be very quick, and they will be very quick, to receive this idol or foolish shepherd, really the Antichrist, in a future time. He says he'll come in his own name, and him you will receive. You'll find over in the book of Revelation, the 13th chapter, where he's received and worshipped by many. And that many will take the mark of the beast, of the Antichrist. You find him coming on the scene in the Book of Revelation, and Second Thessalonians two verse three speaks of the fact that he will come upon the scene, speaking of that time of the tribulation. It says in verse three, Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse three, "Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day." shall not come except there come a falling away, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. He's going to be revealed. He's called the man of sin. He's called the son of perdition. He's called the Antichrist. Who opposeth and exalteth. Here's his character in Second Thessalonians. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And Jesus said, another will come, and him you will receive. How blinded Israel was to their Messiah. And still, nationally, in blindness. But someday, there will be a different story. Look in the book of Romans, chapter 11, if you will. And Paul predicts the time of their conversion in verse 25. Let's read verse 25 and 26. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel, until, look, until the times of the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. After the fullness of the Gentiles, God's finished purpose with the Gentiles, when the last soul is born again and saved, and it means those who will be converted at the time of Christ's coming, and there will be a restoration of the people. And they will recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They will look upon Him whom they have pierced. So back in Zechariah again, let's look at this, these verses that we just read to you. Let's read verse 15-17 through 17 again. It says, For, lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land which shall not visit those that be cut off, neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that that is broken, nor feed that that standeth still but he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear the claws in pieces. He's cruel and wicked, merciless. He says, Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. The eye that he's supposed to use to keep watch over the flock with love and compassion. He doesn't have that. It's going to be darkened. Let's pick up with chapter 12. Now the twelfth chapter, we have the burden or the siege, of the burden of Jerusalem, or the siege of Jerusalem. Chapter twelve, verses one through three, and then you have in verses uh, four through thirteen nine. It carries you over to thirteen nine, the deliverance of Israel. Carries you thirteen in the, all the chapter of the thirteenth. And then in the chapter 14, you have the return of the Lord, beginning with verse 1 through 21. The whole, the whole thing is the return of the Lord in triumphant glory. So we're getting to the close of it. But in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stresseth forth the heavens, and layeth the foundation of the earth, and formeth the spirit of man within him, first describing God's creative power. And God stretched forth the heavens and laid the foundation of the earth. And He formed the Spirit of man within Him. You know, if a man would just look inside himself and see what he is, and see his, first of all that God can come and dwell within him as a believer, but before that, see himself in his carnal state, needing to be born again and have a new nature, he would have to confess that God has made him. He'd have to admit that that man had nothing to do with the fact that he is here. That God created him. That he also stretched out the heavens and he laid the foundations of the earth. The psalmist looked at himself and he says, I am wonderfully made. Who could make man like he is but God? He set him over the works of all of his hands. He put all things in subjection under his feet. That's uh, Hebrews chapter 2. It says, For in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. And then there's a verse that says something else. He says, But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus, because he's the only one that was not put under him. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angel for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became Him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And you find that in the 2nd of Hebrews. But anyway, back to this now. You see that it says, He stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. You know, Job at one time said that if God... Would take away his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish from the earth. You know, Job said that? If God would just, in other words, God said he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and what man became a living soul, he breathed out. All God would have to do would be to inhale, to take his breath back. And Job says all flesh would perish from the earth. If you think we're not fragile, Think of the breath of the Almighty. He says, The breath of the Almighty, Job again, hath given me life. And so we must realize where our life really comes from and how it's sustained. That's why that, uh, at the point of death, what happens? That breath is taken away, isn't it? And we're no longer here. I heard it person one time i had asthma real bad when i was back in mount pleasant texas and for years and then i came back to high and dry country where i knew i could exist and we started this church in 1959 here in Rio Dosa. but anyway to make a long story short i heard someone say no one ever died from having asthma you just can't uh, you just lose your breath i thought uh huh You know, I begin to put two and two together and think, well, you know, possibly. And there have been people dying from asthma too. Don't ever kid yourselves. But I had it real bad. But what we're saying here is the breath of the Almighty and formeth the Spirit of man within Him. And this is the burden of the Word of the Lord for Israel. But He just gives this as an introduction more or less in verse 1. Telling what God is, who God is. And you know, when we think of Jesus, the Son of the living God, He was active in all creation. In fact, the Bible tells us all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In the first chapter of John. Listen. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. Look at it. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay. In the beginning was the Word. That's preexistence. And the word was with God, that's coexistence. And the word was God, that's self existence. And all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So it goes on to say that He is the creator of all things. John chapter one, verses one through three, if you'd like it. Hebrews chapter one says, But under the sun, he saith, speaks to the angels. But he says, Unto the Son He saith, Thy throne, O God, the Father speaking to the Son, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is a scepter of Thy kingdom. And it says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Now here's the verse. And Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth. See, God the Father attributes creation to His Son. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. It says, They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old, as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up. And they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. So we find that creation, look here, verse 1, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens, and layeth the foundation of the earth, and formeth the spirit of man within him. Then he tells what he's going to do about Jerusalem. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. A cup of trembling. And it says in verse 3, And in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all the people all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. There's going to come a time that they'll be gathered together against it. When it says, in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone, this was, according to Oriental or ancient times, the test of strength of use by requiring them to to lift massive stones. Some of you may have seen on television where they have these guys all muscle-bound that lift these great stones and they have to carry them, what, 20 or 30 feet down there and put them down. Have you seen that on the television? Some kind of program of, of uh, showing that they can do that. They lift a great big old rock and they'll carry it. and they're, they're big, heavy guys with lots of muscles. They have to have. But here, this is a test for use of that day to lift massive stones to see how strong they really were. Our strength is in the Lord, not in body. The Bible tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds the casting down of imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. So we... We're told to be strong in the Lord. It's good to be physically healthy. I wish more of us were. And I desire to have health and strength. But on the other hand, that's not all the story, is it? We need both physical and spiritual strength. Remember, Paul told Timothy, he said, bodily exercise profits little. He means for a little time. But godliness is profitable in all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So there's strength in growing in a godly way, in a spiritual way. All right, let's look at this. It says in verse 3, And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all the people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Now those that receive Christ will receive His grace and forgiveness and mercy But those that reject him, there's another story. Look in Matthew 21, verse 44. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 44. It says, And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. Now look, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. The ones that receive Christ, come with a broken heart and a broken spirit, knowing that they need the Lord. But the ones who lift up themselves and reject Christ, not only of His own, but of all. And finally, this judgment stone will fall upon uh, the Antichrist and all of His group with power. Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard His parables, they perceived that He spake of them. They rejected Christ. But when they sought to lay hands on Him, they feared the multitude because they took Him for a prophet. So uh, there were Christ rejecters in His day. There have been through the ages. And there will be in the future. Back in Zechariah chapter 12, He says in verse 3, that though all the people of the earth be gathered together against the last part of verse 3. All the people of the earth, there are going to be many peoples and nations gathered together against Jerusalem. And in verse 4 it says, In that day. Notice how many times it says, In that day. Verse 3 says, In that day. Verse 4 says, In that day. Verse 6, In that day. Verse 8, In that day. In verse 9, It shall come to pass in that day. Verse 11, In that day. And even when you get to chapter 13, verse 1, "...in that day there shall be a fountain oak." So he's speaking of future time. And that day is not yet come. But if you look at verse 4 again, we'll continue. It says, "...in that day saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness, and I will open mine eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse of the people with blindness." God's judgment will rest upon all the nations and people that oppose him. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, The inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts their God. They'll finally confess that God will be their strength. Verse 6, In that day will I make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood, and like a torch of fire in the sheath. And they shall devour all the people round about, on the right hand and on the left, and Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. There comes a time of future restoration. The Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. He's going to save them. Verse 8, In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. They're going to be restored to strength. They're going to be like David. And the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. This is a prophecy of the destruction of all nations that will come against God's people. In the book of Revelation, we find the story. And I will pour upon the house of David. Now look at this, verse 10. I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Here's their time of repentance. This same thing is quoted in Revelation 1-7. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is bitterness in bitterness for his firstborn. If the firstborn of the family dies. And they're in bitterness and in mourning. And that's how they're going to mourn in that day. When they look upon him whom they have pierced. The repentance of Jerusalem that we're talking about. In verse 11, In that day there shall be great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of Hadarimmon in the valley of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart. and what it means apart will mean they will go in their own confines and each one of them will in their own home, be separated and mourning for the condition and situation that exists in their own families. So notice that word apart many times. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart and their wives apart. The family of the house of Levi apart and their wives apart. The family of Asimeah apart and their wives apart. And all the families that remain. Every family apart and their wives apart. That means they're going to be in their own individual uh, confines to mourn over the condition. Chapter 13, verse 1. In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness we get the song that we sing today. There is a fountain filled with blood going from Emmanuel's veins. Most of the time it's taken from the thought that's uh, found here. We know that there will be a future time that that fountain will be opened and they will really realize that it's for them. But all through the years of this day and age of grace, there's been a fountain opened for not only the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the Jews and the Gentiles, but through the Gospel it's preached to all peoples of the world, isn't it? And there's an opportunity for any and all to be saved because of Christ's death on the cross and because of the fact that He has given opportunity for people to repent of sin and for uncleanness and to be saved by grace. You know, when we think of the fact that our sins are forgiven through the blood of Christ, there are so many wonderful passages in the New Testament that tell us after Jesus said, first of all, He said, It is finished, and He died on the cross, and He shed His blood for our redemption. But there are many uh, writings in the New Testament that tell us about uh, Christ shed blood and the value of it for the forgiveness of our sins. In fact, if you remember, uh, Jesus said that repentance and remission of sin should be what? Preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. In Luke 24, He tells us that. And it has been preached through the years since the death of Christ. But we find that the Scriptures that we want to refer you to, uh, for instance, Jesus said He came to give His life a ransom for many. And when He instituted the Lord's Supper, He says, This is My blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for remission of sins. Paul begins to write much about the shed blood of Christ. And he says in Ephesians 1.7, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. And in Colossians 1.14, he says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And there are passage after passage that tells us of the shed blood of Christ for the remission of our sins and forgiveness of our sins. One familiar and loving passage that I like so much is in First Peter chapter one, beginning with verse 18, <clears throat> and it says, "For as much as you know you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, listen, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world." But was manifest in these last times for you who by him to believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. So it's all related to the shed blood of Christ that our redemption rests upon and our forgiveness of sins. So in that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. In verse 2, And in that day... And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols. He's going to destroy the idols out of the land. And they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. And it shall come to pass that when any yet shall yet prophesy, then his father and his mother that begat him shall say unto him, Thou shalt not live, for thou speakest lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and his mother that begat him shall thrust him through when he prophesied. That is, if he's prophesying falsely. And it shall come to pass in that day that the prophet shall be ashamed, every one of his vision, when he hath prophesied. They're not going to do like the prophets in Jeremiah to just prophesy out of their dreams and visions. Neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive. But he shall say, I am no prophet, I am an husbandman, for man taught me to keep the cattle of my youth. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. This could well figure what Jesus went through in being wounded wounded in his hands. Verse 7 says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. Remember, Jesus reminds the uh, disciples of this. That they all forsook Him and what? Fled. When the shepherd was smitten. And I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. And it shall come to pass in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die. But the third part... Third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and I will refine them with silvers refined, and I will, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on My name, and I will hear them. I will say, It is My people, and they shall say, The Lord is My God. So there's a, a future aspect of this. At Christ's coming, during the book uh, tribulation period, when it says through the last part of this, they shall call on My name, there's the repentance of the remnant of His people that will turn to Him. We won't have time to take up the 14th chapter, but I trust that we'll take it up Wednesday night and deal with the 14th chapter of Zechariah. This is the return of the Lord in triumphant glory. And you'll find a lot of things that have to do with Christ's second coming in this 14th chapter. And there will be a blessing. So we'll pick it up in the 14th chapter in the next lesson.